This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show, the award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. Hey everyone, Joey Romero, back again with our I Survive Real Estate Legacy Series. The I Survive Real Estate Legacy Series is our series of interviews with Roni Award recipients. The Roni Award is given out every year at I Survive Real Estate to an educator or mentor that has impacted the real estate investor market and individual investors along the way. Hope you enjoy. Hi, thank you for joining us. My name is Bruce Norris. Our special guest today is Peter Fortunato. Uh, the Roni Award was created because a man named Jim Rohn changed my life in three hours one night in 1980 and sent it in a completely different direction. Peter Fortunato received the Roni Award to recognize his contribution to the real estate investment business and the many lives who he says he's changed because Peter took the time to teach what he knew to others. Peter is a libertarian and a capitalist. He believes that transactions, he believes that transactions which you can be proud of result from carefully conceived goals and plans followed by purposeful actions and scrupulous documentation. Upon graduating from high school in 1965, Peter went right into the real estate business. His motivation was his, self, his desire to be self-employed until he could afford to be unemployed. Peter says, everyone who knew me believed that I was unemployable. <laughs> they were right, I still am. Peter was excited about being free to build his business and his future. He attended seminars and read at every opportunity he sought out and learned from many mentors and benefited from the examples and counsel of his father, who always encouraged and supported him. Peter finished college with a clientele and investment portfolio, and by 1975, his investment income had eliminated its need for fees from clients to fund his lifestyle. Peter continues to teach and to attend real estate and investment seminars and meetings regularly. He is respected for his clear and patient explanations of investment concepts and transactions. He's been building, structuring, manip manipulating, and managing investment transactions and portfolios for, for more than 45 years. And Peter, we welcome to you, you to our show. It's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to the talk, Bruce. Um, can you define unemployable for me? I always know that I have a better idea than the person who thought that they were in authority and I have no self-discipline, so I'm going to try to help whether they like it or not. <laughs> so you were like the, the teacher's worst nightmare in school. Well, in school, it wasn't so bad. So I just bring a good book and sit and read the book and ignore them. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, now, when you were growing up, I, and I, I asked this of a lot of people who I interviewed that are really entrepreneurial were you when you were in like grade school did you do anything that was entrepreneurial did you have a a side hustle of some kind yes what anything did you do i could do to to make money i mean i used to organize people to mow lawns and then i would collect and make the connections <laughs> and um my my brother and i used to just die for a snowstorm so we could run out and shovel snow uh but essentially I was a capitalist and my goal was to get some capital so I didn't have to do any work. Where did that come from? Um, I was lucky enough to be born into a family where no one had ever worked for anybody. Wow. I, 
I'm going to tell you a story because you're going to relate to this so much. My best friend, Alex, is, is Cuban and always worked for himself. And he raised his son to be that way. So when um, his son's about 13 years old, Alex tells him, you know, when you're 16, you probably want a car. And said, so to get a car, you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to earn the money. And so he said, I'll buy, tell you what, I'll buy you a lawnmower, but you'll pay me back. So there wasn't it wasn't a gift. And he thought he would David would go and mow lawns. Well, David went and got the accounts, but never mowed a lawn in his life. He, he got 50. He got 50 lots. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the rest of the story. And his dad yeah. was wondering why he's doing so well and has so much time on his hands. <laughs> but yeah. that came in bread somehow. I don't know that yeah. that's as teachable as it is. If you got it, you got it. No, I, I spoke to a third grade in New York City, uh, probably 95. And I always ask kids, do you like money? Where do you get it? And I'm very sad that they all talk about I get it from work. And that's a terrible thing to teach kids because if they sentence themselves to working for money instead of understanding that they can acquire assets to produce money and become a capitalist and enjoy their life and be free to do what they want, um, then they'll always be stuck in the trap of a job. And so I asked this class and we went around the class and they mowed lawns, they washed windows, they did work around the house. And then this one little girl said, well, Mr. Fortunato, I make money by telling my brother that if he'll pay me $5, I won't tell our parents <laughs> what he did. <laughs> And so she was an extortionist, but at least she wasn't going to be a wage slave. <laughs> that's that's funny. She's third I grade. Think, that's a young kid. That's a young kid. Does you come up with that one? Yes. You know, I didn't get involved until about 1980, 81 in real estate. So, I mean, you're you had 15 years. You started really young. So yeah. why? And this is what's interesting to me. We, we approach real estate so differently, and I've always been fascinated, and you're one of those people. There's only a couple people on this list that I have to listen to about two or three times to even get my arms around what the heck, where your brain has just taken this stuff, and that's, that's pretty cool because I've done a few transactions, but I think maybe how you get introduced to the business. I got introduced to the, the business by having to get um, price reductions to make to make money. That was the only program I was taught Buy this at 65 cents on the dollar and you earn this. And that's my introduction. Your way of thinking is completely different, completely. Right. Because I'm not buying it to resell it. I'm exactly. acquiring benefits to keep for the rest of my life. I'm acquiring benefits that are left over from other people who don't need those benefits. For example, when I was earning $4,000 a year my first year in real estate, I didn't have any trouble giving away the tax benefits to somebody because I had very little use for tax <laughs> benefits when I was grossing $4,000. But where do you come up with the concept that you can give them away? I mean, no, you well, didn't a, give them away. Of course you do. You, you see saw what a house is made of. It's made of profit, income, tax benefits, amortization, appreciation, 
the thrill of management, the joy of using it. Those are all <laughs> different pieces you distribute to different people. Well, I think you invented that, didn't you? No. When no. I was 18 years and 11 months old, I did my very first presentation for free in our real estate office slash basement playroom. Okay. And it was a free presentation of 10 minutes on each of those topics. Okay. I but I mean, investing for growth. I talked about cash flow. I talked about enjoying a house. And I did 10 minutes each. It was an hour. It was easy to do when you were 19 years old. I got some questions. And as a result of that talk, I ended up with two out of the 10 people who came to hear me. I ended up with two customers. But the concepts that you shared, they originated with you or somebody no. that you know? The Old well, Testament. I, 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 to be honest with you, I, you know, until I sat and listened to you speak, when I got asked to speak in Florida, I really didn't yeah. want to do it. But I said, I'll tell you what, if you can get Pete to share the day, I'd love to teach with him. Okay. Well, I was, you know, I was one of the students in that classroom that day for sure. Because all the stuff you were, you were covering, I hadn't heard before. And that's, a, you know, that wasn't all that long ago. So the, the, you, you've seen a whole different real estate world than I have. I've done a lot of transactions, yeah. but probably missed I don't know how many because I only had one tool. Yeah, but see, I missed the chance to buy a house at that big discount and resell it. So no, <laughs> we, we, we do the things we're comfortable with and we enjoy. I mean, the problem well, I, I would have had is I have this religious thing about taxes, so I wouldn't be able to resell it if it, if it was a profit. <laughs> well, I'm starting to get your religion as I have now moved to Florida. <laughs> You want what's one of the things that I really have missed in the last, gosh, what year are we at? It's almost, yeah, it's 15 years is a probably 90% of what I bought from 80 to 2005 was talking to a human being that owned it. After that, the model changed and we bought from courthouse steps and yeah. REOs or built houses. So it's been a very different model. But I used to really enjoy the conversations with people. And I, I really feel like we have a kindred spirit in the sense that our, our first intention is to clearly understand the situation. And if there's something that I can do to help that even doesn't include me to make a profit, I was cool with that. And I, I would sometimes buy houses because of that. I would suggest things. And the people on the other side are going, you run an ad that you buy houses and you're telling me every way to prevent that. I said, you're going to buy it or not. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So, but that, it gives you a clean, a feel like a clean conscious and actually an enjoyable day. And I don't, I don't know how many customers really get it that for them to talk to you about their real estate problem. What happens is you have 10,000 conversations to invest in, in this conversation because of your experience. They're, they're not going to find that anywhere else. And that's, that's the, one of the coolest things. But it, it all begins, if you want to be a, a capitalist, if you want to be a, a leader, you have to care about other people. And so it begins with caring. Well, something's changed in their life or else the house wouldn't be available. They've got a that's job true. out of state. Uh, here, I find people who've been told they couldn't handle stairs any longer. Uh, they had twins. 
The kids went off to college. I've had people call me and say, uh, I need to get out of this house. Well, why? Well, the kids are talking about coming back to live with me. And if we, <laughs> if we can get a one bedroom condo, we could say we're so, we'd, we'd love to have you, but we've moved. Uh, you'd never know, you, you have no idea. I have no idea when I talk to someone, what is going to be that problem. But my job is to care enough to find out what's going on and see if I can't enable them to be better off. Not, it's rare that I get perfection or anything close to it, but I can structure something that's more comfortable for them. And so it's very rare um, that I would ever buy something and give people money. <laughs> God forbid. Because <laughs> no money is not what anybody wants. I, I absolutely have, you know, when I heard you say that first, I was sort of like, Okay, I don't get that one, but I, I'm starting to get it. I understand what you're saying, especially since it pays nothing. No, well, it pays nothing. If you can't trade it for something else, its highest and best use is toilet paper. <laughs> it's only its exchangeability. It, the dollar is a conduit from something they don't like to something they like more. That's all it is. When you, when you have conversations in 2020, are they typically a referral of some sort that got them to you or is it from scratch and they don't know you from Adam? Almost everything I do is repeat and referral business. Okay. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's a big help because let's say now the it's group 55 of people. Years, you, Bruce, 55 of course. Years. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of repeating, <laughs> but in a way that's, that's a great thing. You not only have you earned the right, but there's a trust factor on both sides of the table. Exactly. The report the is much thing. easier for me with someone's referred me there or I've done business with them before. And rapport is the foundation of a deal. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've had, I haven't had as many transactions with people repetitively as you, but I, I remember the seventh house I bought from somebody. She called me up. She's, she, she had a life situation change. She was going to move her mother back to uh, North Carolina and so she wanted me to buy her home, her mother's home. So I went to meet her and I had my, my list of comps and, uh, I, and I told her, I said, you know, if I have to write a check for it, I can pay you this, but why don't you just carry the paper? You know, I'm trustworthy. I can pay you more. And then, and then she, you know what she says to me? And this was, this was where like a light bulb went on. She said, Bruce, you sure that's a good enough price for you? And I realized, wow, we're, we're both looking out for each other here. What, that, that just made me feel really good about the transaction. Yep. Yep. My son made an offer to somebody last year uh, that we've done other business before, and he's got a good relationship with them. And he offered to buy it and give him 5% uh, rate on the seller carry. And uh, the gentleman that was selling the house said, well, four will work. And Michael said, I didn't know what was the next step in my, in my negotiation. <laughs> didn't, didn't take, didn't take that, that course. Huh? Well, you, you've earned the right to have that, that, that comment. When you're, when you're teaching an audience and let's say this weekend, what percentage of those people are students already of yours? A great percentage? Everyone. Everyone. Wow. Everyone in my room is a family member or a referral from someone that I've been in class with before. That's why my method, uh, method of marketing is 
if God meant for them to be in the room, they'll be there. And I don't do any <laughs> other marketing. <laughs> okay. Now, when you teach, when you teach people that are brand new, let's say I'm brand new. I'm not going to have that easy conversation right off the bat because there's going to be a seller on the other side of the phone or the other side of the table who might be suspicious of my motives. How do you, how do you tell somebody to say, allay that to this for the seller? Well, first, I don't ever advise people to go out in pursuit of sellers. I, really? I advise them to go out in pursuit of allies. Okay. Good. So what happens in my, in my case, I went out in the neighborhoods where I wanted to own something and I knocked on doors or if I was in that neighborhood and I saw somebody out mowing a lawn or washing a car, I stopped and talked to them. I said, hi, my name is Peter Fortunato. I'm looking for a house in this neighborhood. How long have you lived here? And I'll tell him, if he says, I've been there 20 years, I said, boy, I bet you've seen a lot of things change. I enjoy talking. I like people. Yeah. Before I leave, I will say in the event that you have an extra house or you know someone who has an extra house, will you have them call me or will you call me? They always <laughs> say, well, what's, what's an extra house? And I <laughs> no, I, I get it. <laughs> no, but they don't. They, I often get that question. Okay. I then write a note on a piece of paper on a three by five card and leave it with them. And weeks, months, years later, I get a phone call. Uh, Mary Toledo called and said, gee, uh, my, my brother has had to go to the nursing home. He's not going to, be able to go, come back to his house. Uh, the neighbor said, you're interested in buying a house. Are you still interested? I hadn't been in that area for eight years. And I bought <laughs> that house. Yeah. That's cool. I, I learned the definition of an extra house one day when I had done a very small mailer in a, in a neighborhood that I wanted to flip in. I had taken the time to go in front of all the houses, pick the ones that needed the most work, mailed them an offer, not a hello, I buy something. I mailed them an offer with a copy of their net check and the whole deal. I bought four houses out of 100 letters, but the, the one conversation I had was very interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm signing the deal on, on the guy's uh, truck hood. And it has, it's his residence. And he said, this house and that house are exactly the same model. I'm buying that one over down there for 34 grand because it's an extra house. And while yeah. he's signing the paperwork, he says, you couldn't buy this one for a dime less than 80 grand. So I'm buying that one for 50% or more discount because it's an extra house to him yeah and that's that's a great sentence that extra house is exactly well, and so, go ahead when i'm going door to door i usually say excess house excess as opposed okay. to extra i would say that's yeah. talking to you because excess gets more comments than does extra and i want to discuss with people i want the discussion i'm trying to discover and i'm trying to develop an ally i've never had a sale that the ally I developed in that sale wasn't more valuable than the property I bought or sold. Wow. That right there is a very important statement when you teach people for them to understand the repetitive nature that business can be. You don't have to recreate the wheel constantly if you in fact have treated somebody right. Well, when, 
uh, Gary Johnston asked me to do a, uh, a thing on relationships and wealth building in his convention out in Vegas a couple of years ago. Yes. And I, my presentation, the three one and a half hour presentations were about the 71 transactions I've done with four families. Wow. I was doing, I was doing the outline here in my house and a <laughs> friend of mine who's got a We Buy Ugly Houses franchise was sitting here and we were talking about my outline and he says, gee, he said, I've done 503 transactions with 502 people. <laughs> the way you do it sounds easier. Yeah, I, I mean, that has to give him some pause and go, well, wait a minute. <laughs> that means I could have been 5,000 houses. But again, I don't think they have, when you sit down with somebody, I don't think you have any structure yet for the deal because you haven't heard what you I need to hear. What, I don't know what the uncomfort, the discomfort is. My job exactly. is to resolve a problem. And so, I mean, I've made wraparound loans so people could pay off credit cards so they didn't have to lose their house. I bought an option so that the, a widow could pay off her car, thereby increasing her income by three fifty a month so she didn't have to sell her house. I've traded <laughs> an older couple, three bedroom, three two-bedroom, one-bath houses for one three-bedroom, three-bath waterfront house. The house was too much. They moved down to one. They still had three houses. They still had the inflation protection of rents rather than a note. I've done installment sales a hundred times with people who had all cash offers but didn't want to pay the taxes. I structured a deal not for me because it was a pool house. So it wasn't a house I would buy. Uh, two weeks ago, the older couple, older, younger than me in the early 70s, <laughs> We're going to sell their house. It was their residence. So it was code section 121, no tax. They had a, a, someone from their church had offered them $350,000. And they were on their, they were each on social security. And when they called the bank and they discovered that the bank was going to pay them $29 and 83 cents a month in interest on a third of a million dollars, they were surprised. They thought a third of a million dollars led to a better lifestyle. Right. So I had one of my friends buy the place from them for $350,000, no money down, $1,500 a month for 30 years. And $1,500 a month, they liked a lot better than $29.83. <laughs> That's pretty cool. When, when you teach with John Schaub, how do you divide the day? What, what category does John own and what category do you own? We, we do an hour and a half each. So I'll, I'll back go nine, 9 to 10.30. Then from 11 to 12.30, John will go. Um, I always, when, when we used to teach with Jack Miller, we'd always yes. fight to go second because after Jack went first, our material was already there. We didn't have to do any preparation. And so John <laughs> likes to go. She, he likes me to go first. But this weekend was extraordinary because John's big concern or uh, focus is on uh, deflation and hoarding dollars. And okay. mine is on inflation and leveraging the lights out. I never expected to be 73 years old and leveraging as much as I can leverage. That was, that was literally the question. 
one of the questions I had was you own stuff free and clear because that's been, that's been the goal. Let's Not have it all free and clear. Not anymore. Wow. That's a, that's a big difference. Now you and John actually differ on the direction of what's next. No, no. Okay. John, see, there's a deflation right now. Okay. Of First. Fear. fear. People yes. are hoarding dollars. Right. They're putting them in the cookie jar. They're not spending them. So as a result, they're not chasing goods and services. But the, the amount of money that has been created, you know, Ludwig von Mises said government's yeah. the only entity so powerful that it could destroy a, a valuable commodity like paper by applying ink. <laughs> well, now they can't even afford the paper. So they're doing it digitally. Right. And they take that Excel spreadsheet down at the Fed and widen it, say, wow, more money. And see, the benefit of being a counterfeiter is that you get to spend the money first while it has its greatest value. And so the government's taking huge advantage of that now. So I'm looking at the inflation over the long term, and I have no doubt that there's a deflation going on right now because a substantial number of people are hoarding money either seeking opportunities or just frightened. Okay. All right. I'm not, uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate just a little bit because I'm, I'm trying to figure this one out for myself mm -hmm. to be quite honest. Okay. We all are. We all okay. are. So demographics for the, our country don't really favor inflation. They favor deflation. When you have tech advances, that favors deflation, Absolutely. not inflation. That's right. So where's this velocity going to come from? You can create money, but I don't know that. Is it going to swap hands enough to make inflation? Well, no, you're talking about two different kinds of inflation. The inflation okay. that is the money supply has increased yeah. to eight trillion, yeah. whatever. I mean, yeah. I don't even know how to write it except in English because there's so many zeros. I can't even write the number. I have to say eight trillion, T-R-I-L. Uh, it's <laughs> just amazing. But I, I look at that, those dollars are going to be spent in the future and their real value is very different than the nominal value. And I look back at my history. In 1965, I went into real estate business. And in 1965, I bumped into you and I said, gee, Bruce, could you lend me a dollar? And you lent me a dollar. And I was able to buy 20 first-class mailings. So I created a nice letter and I sent out the 20 first-class mailings, just like you were talking about mailings as a way to, to market. Right. Now we meet today. I said, gee, Bruce, I owe you a dollar. And I pay you back. I gave you less than two back. See, I've seen that in my life. And I think I see nothing but that from my kids and my grandkids. I want to be able to pay off debt with rents and with ever cheaper dollars. Okay. So, so that, the dollars are there. They're out there. They're not going to contract the money supply. No, they're, they've increased the money supply a, a huge amount, but I'm trying to figure out if we have, what do we have the ability to have velocity? Well, that's, I think that's why they want to go away from the paper money. Okay. So they want to use the credit card nonsense, the, the 
whatever they, I don't even know what you call it, the digital money with a card. The Bitcoin type stuff? No, no, no. I mean, okay. the government wants to control it. The heaven forbid, Bitcoin used to be decentralized and dealing with decentralized money would be a, a horror show for government. Right. But they want to start, they just began sending out the, the digital cards with the pretend to be money saying, here's your $2,000 for the month of October. I mean, I just, I heard that because I got a letter saying, why didn't you come in for your $2,000 or $1,200 or whatever it is? Um, right. But see, the digital money, what happens is it gives them control, lets them know where the money went, and right. it enables them to put a trigger on it. Correct. So they say, this is the October card. So on November 1st, it goes to zero, and they gives them the ability to control the velocity of money. Okay. So for somebody like me, it just that sounds like so much fun because I would go to somebody who's got the card who's running out and he's not going to get any value for it and tell him to go and buy things I want and give it to me. <laughs> so it won't run out without value and I'll trade him something. Ay, ay, ay. Are your courses and they're taped and everything? Do you have courses that are taped? I got a couple that are taped that are in my under my bed so that when I'm gone, my kids can continue to sell me when I'm not here. But I so love teaching. I so love being face to face <laughs> that it's a really weak second from my perspective to do it on tape. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to put a plug in for you doing that at least, at least once, because there'll be a day Jim Rohn changed my whole life mm -hmm. in three hours. I can watch that exact talk even though he's not been here for 10 years, he still keeps me up at night. Yeah. And so would you. But there will be no exact talk because I have no idea what I'm going to say when I start. Uh, but you never do. It doesn't okay. have to be an exact talk. All right. Just, just it, so you know. All right. Yeah. No, those principles are, uh, they're invaluable. And uh, yeah, you'd, uh, you'd want to capture that for the people. Honestly, I think so anyway. Um, do you have, did you have a favorite real estate mentor? You know, here's what's interesting. Again, I come from a very different mindset. I, in California, real estate wasn't volatile in price and it wasn't anywhere in the, prior to the early seventies. It was, it was just a house. And then all of a sudden California basically went and doubled and tripled in a six year period, 74 to 80. And real estate became this commodity and that had never happened before. But in Florida, it didn't happen then. So right. it's in, I, I became interested in real estate because my house that I lived in, I sold it and I made 10 grand. And it was the first time I ever had my name on a check that had 10 grand on it. Sure. And I thought, God, what if I had owned three of these? And so I did, I owned three. And that was my, my first process yeah. of thinking that I could expand my wealth by owning this stuff. But I hadn't gone to anybody's courses. And you already been at it for 15 years by then. So, you know, that's interesting. Um, where was I going with that? Um, why? What do you why do? Was, why would I buy real estate if it's not going to appreciate? Well, well, in the beginning, what was exciting to you about it? Because it, I didn't know. I, I, the didn't excitement want, I didn't want to work. So I wanted to get some capital that would provide income. Okay. So when I bought my first, see, when I got out of high school, I was going to acquire enough real estate 
so that the real estate would pay for my lifestyle, the rent, the use of the, those properties. So I bought my first property on Thorndike Street. That property was a triplex, three units stacked on top of one of them, typical North Shore of Boston triplex. And it was structured so that if every apartment was always rented and everybody always paid the rent and nothing ever broke, <laughs> it, would, it would pay for itself. <laughs> I so it no didn't pay clue. for itself. <laughs> I had no clue in 1967, 1968 that it was ever going up in value. I wasn't going to go live there because it was too comfortable living home with my mom and dad. Okay. <laughs> so people say, well, why did you buy it? The reason I bought it is the tenants paid for it. Who now, modeled that? Who modeled that for you? Or I mean, who, who you, I, you I just sort of assets. I don't have any money. So what, what assets can I acquire? That'll be income producing capital. And it was rental houses. Now I will say, I didn't realize it then, but I do believe growing up with my grandfather having his barber shop underneath six apartments. Yeah. He was an immigrant from Italy and he okay. had the barber shop and then he bought the place, but always having the apartments as a place to live and income and a barber shop from which to work. I didn't think of that as a model, but looking back, I believe it was more impactful than I recognized when I was little. Okay. Okay. But I mean, well, I had, when I started in real estate in 65, 66, every realtor was an incredible inspiration to me they taught they showed me what made deals happen uh, it was just remarkable i look back at the the people in my market not the teachers who were out there uh the the guys who were in my market who were investors and who were realtors who i asked questions and they answered me and the the investors who i probably said i want to grow up to be just like you how did you do it and they listened to me and That's when I started cool. buying some paper, I had a chance to buy a, a note to yield 15% that was a second mortgage paid for by a school teacher. Or I had a chance to buy a note to yield 8% that was a second mortgage paid for one by one of the investors in town. I always bought the investor's note. Interesting. Because with that <laughs> note came the ability to talk to them and I'd contact them and I, I would say, gee, you know, you owe me this note. I'd much rather, instead of you having to send me $30 every month, what about I just forgive the note for 5% of the deal? When they'd have a hearing, they'd go for a variance. I'd be there in the crowd speaking in favor of having more units in town. Those were the people that I wanted to be like and I wanted that alliance. Very interesting. You know, my introduction to uh, even hard money wasn't until 19, 1992 or 93. In California, there wasn't a hard money lender that lent to investors at that time. Mm -hmm. It just it was all to a homeowner that had like crummy credit and had to borrow outrageous money on a second. Yep. And uh, to, to loan to investors, I actually had a guy go door to door to lenders. 
and say, would you loan to investors? And uh, the guy that actually works, works for my company for the last 25 years was the guy that responded. Yep. And he had never, he had never made an investor loan, but I came to him with, you know, my discounted properties and said, would you loan, loan them? And he realized, holy cow, I can do 50 loans a year with this guy, not one. And that was what was interesting to him. And that's, yep. that's kind of what, what started it all. Well, when um, I was started, my remember my goal was to have income coming in that freed me to do whatever I wanted. So my first year in real estate as a licensed agent, I earned enough to pay the bills, nothing extra. The second year, I earned enough to pay the bills. The third year, I had to earn 90% of what it took to pay the bills because I actually had 10% coming in from rents and notes. And then the next year, I had 20 or 25%. And, and finally, after 10 years, I had enough income coming every month that I didn't have to work any longer. And we're talking 75, 1975. Yeah, yeah I was 28. I've, I have definitely talked to people over the years where I've asked the question, when, when is enough enough? Because there's, when you write goals, sometimes you, you know, when you're first starting, man, if I could own a home free and clear, that would be cool. And of course, as that goal gets reached, then you expand it. But there's sometimes people expand it to where I think it's, it actually has a negative impact on their life. Without question. Okay. Because then it's, I, so when I, when I have talked, I said, sometimes you have to realize hey, their plan may be their plan, but you don't have to adopt their plan. You can create what you think wealth is. And it, oh, might, it might be diversity of choice after you don't need money. It's very important to realize that the golden rule is a really terrible rule. Because what it says is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And really what it should be is do unto others as they would have you do unto them because people value things differently. That's why commerce happens. And you always have to realize their idea of good is not yours. I got fired as a residential real estate agent because I said to a woman, what can you do in a blue bathroom you can't do in a pink bathroom? <laughs> it was the right house, you could afford the house. And I said, yeah, I'm not gonna be able to do this residential stuff anymore. <laughs> That was your clothes, huh? Yeah, that was, that was my clothes, all right. You, you, are, you and I are built very so. I had one open house that I conducted. That was it. Oh. Lady came in and she said, you looked at the ceiling. She said, I wish it had a nine-foot ceiling. I said, it's very unlikely to get one. <laughs> well, I, my, my brother had a house across from me, and it was wonderful. I was raising my kids across the street from Johnny, who had his kids. And it was just great having everybody together. And then when he moved back to Massachusetts, he was left with a big pool house down here that didn't work as a rental. We're really very leery of pools and rentals. Yeah. And so he was back in Massachusetts. So I said, listen, on Sunday, I'll bring a TV over there and I'll set up an open house, see who walks in. And I'm going to watch the football game anyway. So we'll see what happens. And so I was sitting in his house and uh, this couple walked in. And I'm watching football and I hear her say, I love this house. 
And so I got talking and I said, you know, what, what brings you out? And she said, well, uh, Ken and I are, are just married and we each have our own houses. And I've sold my house. And if this house is still available when Ken sells his house, we'll come back. We'd love this to be a perfect house for us. We're going to put the money from the two houses together. So then they left and they went home. <laughs> and I followed them. And they walked into their house. They sat at the dining room table. I knocked on the door. I said, is this Ken's house? They said, yes, it is. I said, you've got a deal. I took <laughs> her money and his house. My brother now has a nice rental house. Paid off the debt with the other house. Right. They were such, so good for us. Because they moved into the neighborhood. And people said, what did you pay for the house? And they'd say, we don't know. <laughs> Fortunato followed us home. <laughs> now we don't have that house. We do have this house. But that That's brought a us great... a lot of interest in that neighborhood. <laughs> That's a funny story. Um, do you have a favorite uh, teacher yourself? Do you have, do you have someone like my Jim Rohn? Do you have one of those? Oh, I mean, I have so many. I got to say that the best and first teachers for all people that I, I know are the people who are successful in their communities, and they should start there. They're available to everyone. That's a matter of buying dinner. Um, but think of what I, how I've been blessed with Jack Miller, John Schaub, Warren Harding, I, the friends I have, Dennis Kellis. People talk about, do you invest out of town? And Sending your money away, it usually doesn't come back. But when I was up in Boston, I did joint ventures with Jack Miller in Tampa, joint ventures with John Schaub in Sarasota, joint ventures with Dennis Kelch. Those guys are better real estate guys than I am. And having access to those friends and uh, the brainstorming that we did together and the deals we did together has been very extraordinary. Well, I got to tell you, you know, we created the Roney Award because of what Jim Rohn did for my life in three short hours. And we started, started on the West Coast. But the reason why you and John, I absolutely wanted you to have that honor is because I've never heard anybody say anything bad about either one of you for decades. And that's, that's, what, that, that's what that award means to me. Well, I, I appreciate it. And that real estate is about caring. It starts with caring about people, not caring about buildings. It's caring about people. You can help people every single day of your life if you just care enough. I, when, I, I went to the Monday night meeting on Monday night this week, and there was a young guy sitting next to me, and he's 33. He's got out of the, the military, and uh, Mark, another friend, has a lease option on a house that the owner of the house is saying, would you please get me off the VA loan? And this kid's the, the kid sitting beside me is looking for his first house. He's a veteran. He can go and assume that loan, release the right. other guys, pick up a house at a great deal, and we put it together over dinner at Trips Diner. <laughs> that's that's really great. I think when people begin in this business, they're so tense about the conversations with sellers. And they're thinking about the wrong way. If, if you approach the business like you do, in other words, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to your situation. I'm actually going to suggest things that, so that solve it. I may be a participant or not, 
but then you're relaxed. You don't it's, have any ego at stake. You're just there to solve problems. And the more years you bring to that table, the more confident you are, like that person better talk to you because you're not going to solve it this way. You're not going to think about what I know. If they keep it a secret, I can, it's only a miracle if I get something that works. For them. <laughs> uh, but what I do is my job is to discover. So I always open if someone comes to me about a house with why would you sell a nice house like this? Uh -huh. And then I shut up. <laughs> I need to find what's going on in their life. And if they say, well, I, I hate it here. I want to go to Miami. Then I say, well, in the event that uh, you're able to go to Miami, where are you going to live? Because if they don't have a place to live, you may both have to enable them to leave this one behind and somehow or other help them get a house where they're going. But those questions, I ask the question and then shut up. But why would you sell a nice house like this is very valuable question to get them started talking about what's going on. My, my, very, first, my very first house, the man was selling because he got a job in Fort Lauderdale. And it was a terrific step up. He was offered this great advance in his career. But his house was in Beverly, Massachusetts. A house 1,400 miles from work is very inconvenient. <laughs> yes. And so I bought that house subject to the mortgage so he could move on and get his family to Lauderdale. Uh, the next house that I bought was the guy at a triplex and tenant wrecked the place. Now, they really, they made a mess of the place. And it was, he was old. He was 47. And he was just heartbroken and distressed. And I bought it subject to the mortgage and seller carried second because I took on the responsibility for cleaning it up and dealing with the tenants. So I solved a management problem for him. The third house I bought, the people had a fourplex and they were selling the fourplex because the kids were now getting into junior high school. They wanted, instead of living in a fourplex, they wanted to go live in a single family house. Well, so they, back then, it was $50,000 for that single-family house. They found the house they wanted. I love their fourplex. I was only 50000 light. Right. <laughs> and so what happened is they were wage slaves. They could qualify for good financing. And back in those days, that was 7.5% 25 years with 20% down. So they had 10000 down. Right. So I said, listen, put the contract in on that house because you can get the financing that's available, not to me because I'm an unemployed real estate agent investor. And uh, so that was a $40,000, 7.5%, 25-year loan that they got to buy their next house. So I agreed to pay them 7.5%, 25 years, $40,000 for the fourplex and get them the $10,000 to put down. I went to my tenant in my second house and borrowed the $10,000 because they had money in the Beverly Cooperative Bank paying them two and a half percent and I was willing to pay them nine. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. But that I... involved interfering, finding what's going on, seeing if you can help people. <laughs> my tenant was better off with three times the income. The people got the house they wanted. I got a nice fourplex. Now, we were talking earlier about why would I do that back when I was starting? 
the 20 rentals that I had when I got out of college, which was four triplexes and two fourplexes. If I'd done nothing more but get in my Volkswagen bus and travel the world, today they're all free and clear. Right. So what do you think 20 rents are on the North Shore of Boston? A lot. <laughs> See, yeah. I'd be doing better than I'm doing here with all the trading and all the stuff I've done. But in any <laughs> case, that's what it takes. And But people don't, don't recognize, uh, I bought a house for no money down and no cash flow, nothing. It just the tenants paid for it in 1970. So there was a 225 a month mortgage payment. And from 70 to 75, Inflation affected everything except right. that mortgage payment. Right. So in 1975, I had $50 a month in cash flow. And that came because the rents went up, all the expenses went up, but the 225 was fixed. In 1980, I was up to $1,200 because everything had gone up again. In 1985, I was up to $2,400. But in 1995, the building was paid for. And when it was paid for, I was up to $7,000 in cash flow. And today that building rents for $4,000 a month. The tenants bought it. That's why I bought the real estate when I was in school, college. When I, that's why I had the goal of buying the real estate when I got out of high school, because someone else pays for it. The only benefit I'm giving them is the use. I'm getting the tax benefits, which I didn't need when I began. I'm getting the appreciation. I'm getting the amortization. And one day I'm getting some cash flow. That's a wonderful opportunity to acquire capital and let somebody else buy it for you. Last question. Are you concerned? And the reason I'm asking this, and one of the reasons I'm sitting in Florida right now instead of California, is the legislation in, in California has made some decisions by proclamation I didn't know they had the right to do. And they're talking about ideas. Now this is the state of California saying they're gonna tax your overall wealth, a wealth tax just for the state of California. Uh, rent control, changing the tax, the way that real estate tax. So I guess I'm, I'm curious, do you see things like depreciation um, $500,000 tax-free gain on a couple selling a home. Do you see those things being under attack uh, in the next couple of years? Of course. I okay. Mean, government is evil. You know, always in all, every class I do, I tell people never in the history of the world has there been a situation so terrible that government could not make it worse. But you got to recognize these power hungry, crazy people who all took a, an oath of office saying that they were going to defend and protect the Constitution of the United States have done what? They've attacked freedom of religion, freedom to assemble, freedom of speech, freedom to bear arms and protect yourself and your family. It's madness. They've attacked freedom from unre unreasonable search and seizures, and they've attacked property rights. 
So now suddenly that's where the greatest damage is going to come from. We got people who lie and claim to be leaders when they're not leaders, they are rulers and they coerce and they plunder. And it's those of us who are investors and free people who care about other people that have to become the leaders and we have to attract and encourage and help other people because the government is the enemy. And the fact that they've taken away the, the rights and the freedoms we thought we had is a terrible thing. The thing it I'm is. most concerned with is, as they've said, contracts are no longer enforceable. They've destroyed business. And I don't know that we can fix that. Okay. You got a they mortgage say and they say, no, no, you can't collect. You got a lease. Right. They say, oh, no, you see that loss of the, the power of a contract okay. is an awful loss because any business needs the, to contract for the business to prosper. I think the small businesses that were destroyed to the biggest businesses, to, to Wall Street, is threatened by that lack of support for contract law. I really see that as treacherous. I, I agree with that. I, the way I put it was, I, I, I thought I knew the rules of engagement and all of a sudden I realized that I don't. They have guns. That's all it is. They have guns. They are, they coerce. And that's why I'm not a libertarian. I am an anarchist because I do not believe anyone has the right to coerce. And I do not believe any group has the right to coerce. And I think people shouldn't put up with it. Fair enough. Well, I have, we better end, Pete. I enjoyed our talk immensely. I hope, I hope another day you and I get to share uh, and teach a seminar together. I'd really enjoy that. Well, we're close by now here in Florida. It'd be very, very easy. And, and it's always right. fun, Bruce. Okay. All right, Pete. Thanks. You have Thank a great you day. Thank you very much. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab.